Hope y'all are doing well this morning. Good morning again. Good morning to you, DeMarco. <laughs> if you have your Bible, please open it to uh, Colossians chapter 3. We are still looking at verses 18 through 21. Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 through 21. Can y'all hear me out there well? Can y'all? Well, good? Okay. In the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 19, uh, children are brought to, to Jesus. And they're brought to him so that he might lay his hands on them and pray for them. And that's wonderful, and it's a beautiful picture. The, the, the parents bringing um, their kids to Jesus, to, to be blessed by Jesus. But a group with Jesus didn't like that. They were upset that these people were bringing these kids to Jesus. And these people are his disciples. And, and it says they started to rebuke these people because they were bringing these kids to Jesus. And so they gave them a good talking to. But when Jesus sees this, it annoys him. And he says to his disciples, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for such belongs the kingdom of heaven. Let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them. For such belongs the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus lays his hands on them, and then he goes away. Jesus does welcome kids. He welcomes children. The kingdom of heaven is, belongs to them also. The church belongs to them also. And the message today is for kids in particular. It's a message about how you who you are in Christ, if you, have, if you are a young person and you have faith in Jesus. It's a message about how you can come to know Jesus if you don't know Jesus as a young person. And it's a message about how you are to function in your family. It's a message about how you as, a, as young people can do life with your family. And it's union with Christ that it allows you to do life with your family in ways that are healthy. It changes the way families relate to one another. It changes the way spouses relate to one another. And it changes the way parents and kids relate to one another. There's an amen statement. And so in Colossians 3, verses 18 through 21, the Apostle Paul shows us what family relations can look like. Now, we've, we already talked about spouses. We already talked about husbands and wives. Now we're going to talk about parents and kids. Parents kids. Open your Bible, Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh to them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. And fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Please pray with and for me. Father, as we come to the preaching of your word, I do pray that you will soften all of our hearts. Give us the humility to not only listen to the word, but to let the word move us. To let the word convict us. To let the word rebuke us. To let the word encourage us. To let the word shepherd us to let the word remind us of who you are and who we are in you. So, Holy Spirit, we need you. 
You're not just you're not on the C team in the Trinity. You're just as important as the Father and the Son. There's no C team or B team. You're on the A team. And so we need you, Holy Spirit. We need you. And I pray that you will come and move in all of us and minister to us in a place of where we truly live. Not just with the adults, even with the kids, even with the young people. Move in them too. Remind them of who they are, Lord. I pray for all of this in your son's wonderful name. Amen. As I said, union with Christ changes the way uh, parents and kids relate to one another. And the Apostle Paul, he begins talking to the children in verse 19. And, and these children are, are those who are still under their parents' roof or still on their parents' budget. Let's put it that way. And so it's, it, it, he's referring to school-age kids, two to, four year, two to five-year-olds, you know, preschoolers. He's talking to school-age kids, six to 12, and he's talking to teens, 13 to 18. And so if, you're in it, if you are in those age groups, then Paul is talking to you. He's talking to all y'all, especially those young people who have come to faith in Jesus, those who have trusted in him as Lord and Savior. He is definitely talking to you. And what Paul does here goes against his Greco-Roman society that he lives in. Because in this culture, children are regarded with low esteem, low esteem. But Paul elevates them by addressing them personally. He is addressing them personally. He is addressing them as, as vital members of the church family and as vital members of the family in which they are raised. in. You see, because they aren't just bodies taking up space. They're not just bodies taking up space. They aren't just bodies to be seen and not heard. They aren't just bodies to be heard and not seen. Children are people. They are persons. And I want each of you young people here to know and to understand that you're not just a body taking up space. You are so much more. Every one of you is a person. You are a person created in the image of God. He made you. Raise your hand if you like Play-Doh as a kid. Who likes Play-Doh? Oh, even some adults like Play-Doh. Good. It's fun. It, it allows you to be creative because Play-Doh can be molded and shaped into objects and animals and, and things. Can the Play-Doh shape itself? Can it mold itself? Someone has to shape it. Someone has to mold it. And the same is true of you. Every young person here is played on God's hands. He shaped you. He molded you. He created you in his own image. And he created you with divine design, not by accident. His hands crafted you with divine intent and detail. He created you male or female on purpose. Okay, thank you. On purpose. You are a boy or a girl on purpose. He created you with beauty, with dignity, with value, with self-worth. You are fearfully and wonderfully made in the eyes of God. Raise your hand if you like Legos. Yeah. Parents, not so much, particularly our feet. We don't, they don't like Legos. And so like Plato, Legos allow you to be creative. You can you can you create by connecting all the inner blocks to, together and, and you can create people. You can create places. You can create things with Legos. 
Now imagine for a moment that God is a God is a master Lego maker and builder. Now he created this perfect Lego world with perfect Lego people. He put all the things together. He connected all the blocks. And Genesis 1 and 2, it teaches us that, uh, that, that God created everything. And he connected everything together. And everything was good. And everything was perfect. But then something happened to God's perfect Lego world, to God's perfect Lego people. The Lego people that he made were disobedient. They sinned against the Lego maker and builder. And their disobedience broke God's Lego world. It broke God's perfect Lego people. It brought sin into the world. Lego bricks came apart. They all started falling apart. Lego bricks were cracked. Lego bricks were broken. Lego bricks were lost. But the Lego maker, because he's good, because he's faithful, still loved his Lego people even though they rebelled against him. And you know what he did? He sent the Lego Redeemer. Thank you for the Lego Redeemer. Thank you for the Lego Redeemer. Because the Lego Redeemer comes, and what the Lego Redeemer does, he puts back together what was broken. He finds all those lost Legos. He heals the cracked ones. He heals the broken ones. And Jesus is the Lego maker. And through his death and through his resurrection, redemption comes to all of God's creation. And through his death and resurrection, sinful Lego people are forgiven. They are restored. They are reborn. They are made right with the Lego maker and master. Do you want to be made right? You got to trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Surrender to him as your Lord and Savior. If you don't know what that means, then your parents, grandparents, or guardians, they can tell you about it. And if you are a young person and you already have saving faith in Jesus, then please know you are a new creation in him. He has given you a new self. He has given you a new identity because you are in union with him. You belong to him. Our church offers an inner to the village class for students. This class is for kids who are ready to make a professional a public professional faith, and it's a good class. And I think in one of the class, one of the kids asked, how does God view them? Is that, was that the question, Richard? Yeah, so one of our kids said, how does God view me? And so Richard, one of our elders, he came up with this wonderful paragraph about how does God view you as a young person when you come to saving faith in him? Listen to these words. It is important to understand the way God sees you when you know and love and believe in Jesus. He sees the righteousness of Christ in you. He sees you as his son or daughter, just as he sees Jesus as his son. He sees you as a friend, no longer as an enemy. He sees you as a brand new creation, like you were born again. Now, nothing can separate you from his love in Christ. There is no condemnation in you. You have been completely saved by grace. You have been justified by faith. He chose you. So you are utterly secure in him, and no one is able to snatch you out of his hands. And he will never, ever leave you or forsake you. You have everlasting life. That is how Jesus sees you. That is how God sees you because you are in union with his son. Is that how you see yourself as a young person?
who has faith in Jesus. Everything you are as a young Christian is wrapped up in Jesus. doesn't matter your age. Is it true for school kids? Is it true for teens? All your security is in Jesus. If you're five or if you're 40, all your security is in Jesus. All your significance, all your value, all your dignity, all your self-worth, all your identity is in him. And because that is true, you don't have to find your identity in any other place. Please listen here. Don't tune me out. Your identity isn't in toys. Kids, that's an amen for you kids. Say amen, kids. Your identity isn't in toys. It's not in video games. It's not in tablets and iPhones. It's not in your GPA. It's not in getting good grades. It's not, in being, it's not being one of the cool kids. It's not in sports. It's not in extracurricular activities. It's not in what college you go to. Your identity isn't in having a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Amen. It's not in having a certain group of people like you. Amen. It's not in how many people follow you on Instagram and Snapchat and Twitter and Facebook or whatever social media outlet you use. It's not in your weight. It's not in the world standard of beauty. Nor is your identity found in being the child of your parents. That can't be your identity either. Neither is your identity in your birth order. Sorry, firstborns and lastborns. Your birth order doesn't make you better than your middle sibling. And if you are the middle sibling, please understand, your birth order doesn't make you less than. Doesn't mean you are invisible. You may feel that way at times. Your parents may treat you that way. Your siblings may treat you that way. But Jesus sees you. And he knows your birth order does not dictate your value, your worth, and your dignity. You are equal to your siblings in value, dignity, and self-worth. Your identity isn't in the dysfunctional family roles you may have adopted or have been assigned. Please understand, kids do have roles within families. They do have roles. And sometimes these roles can be a sign of dysfunction. In his book, Shepherding a Child's Heart, Ted Tripp writes, children have roles within families too. I know one home in which the children are required to put their father's socks and shoes on him because he is obese and finds it uncomfortable. By the cruel and harsh ways he requires this service, he makes powerful, shaping statements about their place in family life. What was your role in your family growing up? What was your place in your family growing up? Teens, kids, what's your current place in your family? What's your role? According to psychology, there are five common dysfunctional family roles for kids. There's the hero, the scapegoat, the mascot, the caregiver, and the lost child. I did a lot of reading on these this week, and I'm going to talk a little bit about them. See, the hero is the good kid. Usually the oldest, as one professional counselor says, this child is seven going on 70. The the hero is a Pharisee, follows all the rules, looks good on the outside, makes good grades, is a good athlete, worships perfection, gets positive attention, and is never wrong, okay? Never wrong. The hero child is what I call 
that family's Facebook kids. Because this child's life becomes constant Facebook updates to make the family look good to others. This child grows up fearing failure and have a prideful, self-righteous view of self. Are you a hero? Next, there's the role of the scapegoat kid. Is this the problem child? The bad kid. The black sheep. The screw up. The child who is never good enough. The one who doesn't quite fit into the family. The scapegoat is used to draw attention away from the real issues within the family. The child tends to be the blame for everything that goes wrong in the family. Everything is this child's fault. This child grows up with hurt, rejection, and shame. And one licensed ther- um, therapist says, the scapegoat, the scapegoat would be the black sheep of the family, the one who carries the sins of the family for the whole family. Are you the scapegoat? The third role is mascot. The mascot is usually the youngest in the family, and this is the family comedian, the family clown. And he or she used comic relief to deal with family issues and brokenness. The child hides pain through humor. The fourth role is the lost child. The lost child is the invisible child, the one who often goes unnoticed, the one who tries to escape family life and tries to avoid family and family issues. This child is withdrawn and has frozen emotions. Are you the lost child? The fifth role is the caretaker. The child in this role functions as a surrogate parent or a surrogate spouse. The caregiver carries the emotional well-being for the whole family. Listen to this description of the caregiver. Caregivers are usually really nice people. They love everyone, and yet they do not seem to have an identity of their own other than what they can do to help you. Are you the caregiver? Think about it. Reflect, remember, don't suppress. Which dysfunctional role did you have growing up? Parents, have you assigned any of these roles to your babies? Young people, what's your role? Are you the hero, the scapegoat, the mascot, the caregiver, the lost child? I want each of you to know those roles are not your identity. They're not your identity. Now, they can negatively impact your value and dignity and self-worth, but there is freedom for you, freedom for your parents, freedom to admit we do have dysfunctions, and freedom to seek out help if you need to seek out help. If you're in the role of hero, then please know and believe you're not a hero, you're not perfect. And it's okay to make mistakes. It's okay that you struggle. God doesn't want you trying to find your identity and success in being perfect. He hasn't placed you in your family to, so that your external goodness can hide all your family's issues. Jesus' righteousness is the only righteousness that can cover brokenness, not yours. And that's not your role. And parents, that's not the role of any of your kids. If you're in the role of scapegoat, please know you're not the reason why your family has issues. It's not your fault. God hasn't placed you in your family to carry the burdens of their sins. Only Jesus can carry the sins of other people. He did so on the cross. You're not the Savior. You're not the sacrificial lamb. That's not your role. That's Jesus' role. And the same is true from all these other roles. Mascot, caregiver, lost child. 
God hasn't placed you in your family to be invisible, to be a surrogate, to provide comic relief. You do not have to be Dave Chappelle in your family, okay? But he has placed you in your family. But he's placed you in your family to be an obedient child. <laughs> an obedient child. Not a hero, not a scapegoat, not any of those things. You function, and your role is to function as an obedient child with your parents. And that's what Paul tells Christian children in verse 19. Children, obey your parents. Children, obey your parents. All children are to obey their parents, Christian or non-Christian. And as Christian kids, if you are a Christian, you can function in that role in your new self. That means you can put on the things that Paul says in verse 12. Compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, forbearance, forgiveness. You can wear those things as you are a child with your parents. Now, what does obedience mean? What does it mean for school-aged kids and for teens? It's more than just checking the box. It's more than just following all the family rules. O- obedience means you, you pay attention to your parents. You are an active listener, giving them your ear, not tuning them out when they're trying to communicate with you. It means you seek their guidance and advice. It means to follow their instructions. Proverbs 4, 1 and 2 says, Hear, O sons, a father's instructions. Be attentive be that you may gain insight. For I give good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. Obedience is you letting your parents, grandparents, or guardians parent you in the Lord. Letting them speak into your life. Letting them walk with you. Letting them hurt with you. Letting them grieve with you. Letting them correct you. Let them shepherd you, guide you, disciple you, and to raise you up. For that's what good parents do. And obedient kids strive to submit to their parents out of respect and honor. That's wonderful. That's awesome. That's, that's, that's easy to live out right. Now, every parent here is like, tell them, Pastor. <laughs> that's right. Didn't you hear what Pastor Alex said today? Amen. Be obedient. But it's not easy. It's not easy. And, and every kid here can testify that the struggle is real. Right, kids? Is it easy to be obedient to your parents? Pastor Alex talking to you. Is it easy for you to be obedient to your parents? No. That, that, you all can say amen, Pastor Alex. The struggle is real. It is hard to be obedient. It is. I came across an old Calvin and Hobbes comic strip this week. And, and, and in it, Calvin decides he has had enough of parental oversight and rules. He has reached his limit. Now, he's going to take a stand. So he enters and he enters, to his, he enters his bedroom with his hands up, protesting to Hobbes, and he says, Mom wants me to clean my room. This is the last straw. <laughs> last straw. I, I've had enough of this. I'm succeeding. Hobbes with, stretches his head and he says, Gee, can, can someone succeed from their own family? Why not, please, Calvin? I've never signed up for this group. I wasn't even consulted. The only reason mom and dad are my parents is because I was born to them. Now, thinking about Calvin's words, Hobbes says, a biological conspiracy. Huh. Huh, okay. It's a conspiracy. But Calvin doesn't stop. He pushes forward. He keeps talking. We can live anywhere we want to now that we're seceding from the family. 
Where do you want to go? The Sahara, the Antarctica, Hobbes, been divorced for reason. How are we going to get to those places? We don't have a car. That's a roadblock. That's a dilemma, but not for Calvin. He still comes up with a plan, even though he has no resources to get to where he wants to go. So he goes to the only two people who has resources. He goes to his dad and he says, Dad, okay, Dad, for this amazing trick, I need an ordinary American Express card. Now close your eyes. Nancy goes to his mom and says, Hobbs and I are seceding from the family, Mom. Oh, really, she replies. And with a big smile on his face and his hands on his hips, he says, boastfully says, yep, we're taking my sled and we're moving to the Yukon. That's a very long way. Calvin said, I know. And here's a list of sandwiches and supplies I need. Why should I do all this stuff if you're succeeding for the family? And out of frustration, he says, we haven't succeeded yet. Geez, what kind of mom are you? <laughs> a good one. Kids, if you're honest with yourself, you will admit at times you are like Calvin. Part of you don't want to be parented. You resist it. You rebel against it. It rubs you the wrong way, and it's hard because parenting interrupts your agenda. Because all kids have an agenda, and that agenda is to get their way. And parents interrupt that. And at times, you think about succeeding. That's what you mean when you say, I want to go stay with Grandma. I want to succeed. Now, some of you are kids are like, oh, that's not me, Pastor Alex. I'm, you, you know me, I'm good. I'm always obedient. I, I never get in trouble. I'm not like Kevin. Is this the face of a child that would deceive you? Now, my brother, on the other hand, now, he's the one. Jesus knows he needs more obedience. Or my sister, on the other hand, she needs to hear the sermon, Pastor. And she does because, because I overheard mom and dad talking. You overheard. Well, some people call that being nosy, you know. But I take your word for it. I'll play along. Obedience is a struggle for your siblings, but not for you. But, but I have one question. Have you ever thought about the extent of your obedience? How far must your obedience go? Are there limits to how much you can obey your parents? Paul tells us in verse 13, verse 20, he says, Children, obey your parents in everything. As my kids will say, roasted. I don't know what that means, but they say it a lot. <laughs> what does it mean to obey your parents in everything? Huh, say what? That's what kids say when they don't understand. Huh, say what? Obey your parents in everything. Everything. I, I can't hear you. O obey your parents in everything. I didn't know you were talking to me. Obey your parents in everything. I didn't know you wanted me to do it right now. Obey your parents in everything. This is the worst day of my life. Children, obey your parents in everything. Well, all my friends are going to be there. Children, obey your parents in everything. Why can't I have another snack? Children, obey your parents in everything. Why do I have to take another bath? Children, obey your parents in everything. Why do I have to go to bed now? Children, obey your parents in everything. 
We're having chicken again. (laughs) Children, obey your parents in everything. Well, that's not fair. Children, obey your parents in everything. I can't ever do anything. Children, obey your parents in everything. You always say no. Children, obey your parents in everything. Obedience to your parents and everything means they have veto power over everything in your life. And if you're honest with yourself, you don't like the fact that they have veto power. Because that means they can give freedoms, they can set limits, they can take things away. Because God has given them authority over you. You're under their provision, their protection, their care and instruction and discipline. Now, it needs to be a clarification because this verse can be used to justify bad and sinful parenting. That's why we don't have one-verse theology. Because Ephesians 6, 1 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Christian parents are to parent their kids in the Lord. In the Lord. And in the Lord, children are supposed to be obedient to them. And that's your motivation. What should motivate you to, to, to walk in obedience, to strive for obedience with your parents? is that it pleases the Lord when you do so. It pleases him when you do so. So in Christ, through the Spirit, you can strive to to be obedient children who honor and respect your parents. In Christ, you can have have the humility to say, you don't know it all. In Christ, you can have the compassion and the kindness to admit that maybe your parents actually know what they're talking about. They may know something about something, sometimes. Now, it's not easy. It will be a struggle. You will fail. You will fall short. You will be disobedient at times. But please know this. There's grace even for kids. There's grace even for you. And there is forgiveness even for you. You have to remember, how does God see you as a kid? How does he see you as a kid? Even when you're disobedient, even when you fall short, even when your parents put restrictions on you and take things away, that doesn't mean they don't love you. It doesn't mean God doesn't love you. It means they do love you. So how does God see you? I'm going to read this again. It's important to understand the way God sees you when you know, love, and believe in Jesus as kids. He sees the righteousness of Christ in you. That means from this, this day to for the rest of your life, you never have to earn your righteousness before God as a kid. You already have it. You already have it. God sees you as a son and daughter, just as he sees Jesus as his son. He sees you as his friend, no longer his enemy. Even when you fail, even when you mess up, even when you're disobedient to your parents, that doesn't change the fact that God loves you. It doesn't change the fact that you belong to him if you have faith in him. Because you are a brand new creation. You are, you have been born again. And nothing can separate you from his love. If you're a young believer, very young, please know what that means. For the rest of your life, you're secure. For the rest of your life, God, you would never be separated from his love. The hardships that may come, the broken hearts that may come, the disappointments that may come, none of those things will ever separate you from his love. Never. 
no condemnation for you. You have been completely saved by grace. You have been justified. He chose you. And no one would be able to snatch you out of his hands. And he, listen to this again, he would never, ever forsake you or leave you. You have everlasting life. Please understand that. Please believe that. Please rest in that. Let us pray. Father, I pray for our kids, each and every one of them. And I do pray for their hearts. I pray for those, the little kids, the kids who already know you in faith, that you will grow them in their faith. Grow them what it means to be in union with you. That they will learn, that their parents will help disciple them into what that really means. And I pray for, for those who have not come to faith yet, that you will give their parents great wisdom as they share the gospel with them and teach them your word, and that they will come to faith, that they will come to, to know you as their Lord and Savior. So, Lord, we trust you with our kids and trust that, that you are good and your will will work its course in their life. It is in Christ's name that I pray. Amen.